Welcome to The Dog Show, a podcast for dog mums and dads who like to spoil their pups and care for their well-being. I'm your host, Will Blunt, and every week I interview global experts about dog health, nutrition, behaviour, trends, and much more. Let's sink our teeth into this week's episode. This episode of The Dog Show features Liz Murdoch. Liz is an intuitive animal communicator and educator who specializes in dog whispering. She discovered her special skill in kindergarten and has continued honing it throughout her life, winning awards in dog training and earning a master's in education and communication from Columbia University. Her work includes private chat sessions and workshops helping people gain a deeper understanding of their dogs. In the interview, we discuss the benefits of understanding what your dog is thinking and how you can better understand your dog with effective communication. Liz Murdoch, welcome to The Dog Show today. Thank you very much for coming on. Thank you for having me. Always happy to talk dogs. As am I, as am I. Um, I'm very excited to talk to you today because it's a topic we've not covered before on the show, all about communicating with your dog. But before we get into the details about that, I'd like to hear more about your background with dogs. Do you currently have a dog of your own? I have three dogs. They're all rescues. People like to have that disclaimer. I have (laughs) three dogs. I have a 13-year-old Chihuahua. I have a 12-year-old Yellow Lab Teddy. And I have a 10-year-old Black Lab. House full of dogs. I saw the photos and I was... um, I was trying to guess whether maybe it was a retriever or a lab. I wasn't wasn't 100% sure. So how long have you had all those dogs for? Since they were puppies. The two of them came to me when they were five months old. And the other one, we guessed he was about a year old, Teddy, when he was about a year. So since they were little. How's the dynamic between the labs and the chihuahua in the house? And how was that initially as well? So she was there first. We had another lab. He had passed away and we still had her and she was maybe two, I guess. And then the family was ready for another dog. I was the most reluctant and I'm a big believer that you get a dog when everyone in the household wants one. And so I was sort of odd man out and I was like, well, I don't know if I'm ready, but I'll foster a dog. You know, I can do that. Well, the first foster that came within five minutes, I said to the rescue group, he can stay. So (laughs) There was that. So Teddy came and he stayed. And then we had him for about a year. And then they called me and said, we've got this puppy. Can you just take him? It won't be very long. He'll be very easy to place. So can you just help us out? We think he'd be good for you. He'd never been inside. He was a backyard breeder. They couldn't handle him with their two other dogs because it was a house full and it gets expensive. So I said, fine, I'll take this puppy. Well, you know, he stayed too. So they were, honey was already established. She and Teddy worked it out very well because ironically enough, the rescue group that brought him to me didn't know that he had been, or I didn't know, and they didn't know about me when they brought him, that he had been found running the streets with a chihuahua. So they worked it out very easily. They had to work it out when we added the third dog was, you know, the different personalities, feeding them separately, the two big dogs, they're both males. There was a time when one of them growled at the other that were like, oh no, you're fed outside. So there was a dynamics when we added that third dog. 
I can imagine as well, like taking the dogs for a walk would be more complicated as well once you got the third. Yes. Yes. So I'm five, two and my two big dogs weigh about 70 pounds. And, and I had a trainer who I was working with who said, you will benefit these dogs immensely if you walk them at least some of the time separately. So we just walk them separately. Okay. That makes sense. I guess it's additional work, but if it, you know, if it, if it helps the dogs, then, then why not? Yeah. Or I'm with someone who they are spaced, but I don't walk the two of them with on the same leash. We give them a break and it keeps them very happy. Okay. Yeah. Um, a question I always like to ask is, is there anything about the breed of dogs that you've experienced that is something that the average person wouldn't know? And I'm sure from with given your experience, um, you may have more of an insight than the average person as well. <laughs> so in terms of the labs, one is a fox red lab. He's more red than yellow. And the other dog is a black lab. First of all, their coats are totally different. You touch them, you can tell the black lab, his is is definitely softer than my yellow labs in just the wiriness and, and the texture. They have different personalities, my black lab and my yellow lab. And I think that there are probably some personalities that I found that just even within the color of the lab that probably could be stereotyped maybe, but in my work, tying that, I really don't want to do a disservice in comparing them, generalizing, because I found that Black Lab A can be so different from Black Lab C. My Black Lab that I had before my current one was a certified therapy dog. We worked in so many situations. He was very smart but my current black lab is still like a puppy, like, oh, what's going on? And I would never try and make him like the smart therapy dog that my first black lab was. So there are can be similarities and differences, but the main thing that I always want people listening to is understand who your dog is, the essence, regardless of you have five labs, just honor the difference in each dog like you would your children or people in a room with you. How much do you believe that difference comes down to their genetic makeup compared to their experience? Oh, wow. That's a great question. Yes. There's a lot that probably goes into both. My black lab, my first black lab was raised really as the only dog. There were no children in the house. He was highly socialized with children, but he had a house to himself. Whereas my current black lab came in with children and two other dogs. So he wasn't given the same nature setting, shall we say, as the first one. So that's a great question. I think it's a mix. And I think it's also dependent on the agreement in a home of house rules and how communication and rules are consistently, I shouldn't say enforced, but just honored. If person A says, sure, come sit with me on the couch, and then I'm not home, and somebody else is in the house and is like, get off the couch, that makes a huge difference as part of that nurturing how we care for them, messing with how they are being allowed to live and honored who they are, what they were born with. I'm sure there's lots of listeners out there that are, have that dynamic in the house where they've got people who are, whether they're partners or kids or anyone else that they're living with are, are, are treating the dog in slightly different ways or disciplining yeah. them in, in slightly different ways, which can um, create confusion and, and often, you know, result in issues as well. 
Yeah. And how they talk, you know, I can say off just, you know, meaning get off the couch if that's what it is, or if there's something dropped and I say, leave it. And, and somebody else goes, leave it, leave it. I told you, you know, the goal is that we give a request or a command or a cue to our dogs one time and they know, they know we mean it, but when we communicate with them and repeat it so many different ways, it's like, well, you said sit, but you didn't seem to care. You said you were going to take me for a walk, but then you didn't because you got distracted. They're not going to know how to respond the next time we say, let's go walk time. So yeah, it makes a big difference, even how we say words. And if we consistently show, we mean what we're saying. So how did you become an animal communicator or, or a dog whisperer, I guess could be described? How did that all happen? So I did it personally in my life since I was five years old and I met my first dog at show and tell in kindergarten and I could understand what the dog was thinking. I went home and I said, mom, I want a dog. I, and it was like, I needed a dog because the dog had communicated that it didn't really like just standing there. It wanted to do more. So I wanted to have a dog that could do more than just be this show dog that this girl and her family had. And so I did it sort of privately. You know, I trained my dog. I won awards in dog training. I later in life did animal assisted therapy and, you know, was certified and, and we worked. But treating it as a profession, as an animal communicator, wasn't until I was doing dog evaluation. So I had these three rescue dogs and I'm like, I can't foster anymore. I'm lousy at it. I'm not good at interviewing people as part of the rescue. I didn't enjoy it. I found it stressful when people would say, yeah, we're the perfect home for this dog. And then it was clear that they just wanted the dog, but it wasn't a good match. So I was like, that's not for me. I want to just talk to the dogs. And then, so they had me evaluate them and I loved it. And it was through that, those conversations where I would go into homes or meet people in parks, wherever. And they, for whatever reason, were wanted to surrender their dog to a, this dog rescue. And I would meet the dog and then they would leave and I would sit down and I would write notes about this dog. This dog wants to be with a person who works at the desk all day and the dog can be alone with the person or this dog would like to do, you know, agility, maybe something. And I would just write these things about these animals, like an evaluation and what it was showing me or the images and feelings I was getting. And when I moved from doing that work from Northern California to Southern California, I was grieving, missing that. And I couldn't really find another job opportunity to do that because these rescues that I called in LA didn't know me and they had their protocol for how they do things. And so I had to figure that out. And so I discovered animal communication as something to study and I did it. And as I was practicing with people for free, like, okay, I'll practice this. And yeah, I've done this for years, interviewing dogs. And I would come home because I was doing them in person and I would look at my phone and I'd have 10 people requesting me to do it. Like, here's my cat. Can you tell me what it's saying? I'm like, who is this? And it would be that the person I'd just been with had referred me to her 10 best friends. And so it became clear that I could create a business. And then that's just taken off. So I guess the way you're describing what you do is kind of an instinctive thing. Mm -hmm. But what are the, I guess, what are the benefits that people are getting from being able to communicate to to their dogs? 
So there's a variety. Some people just are curious and so they like it and they're, it, they feel more connected. They don't know that their dog is happy in their home or all of its needs are being met. So some of it is they're just curious and they get a sense of relief that, okay, I'm an okay dog person. I've never had a dog or, you know, I've got a family now. I'm trying to juggle this, uh, having a dog in a busy life. I need reassurance. So they get that. Then there are a lot of people who have a pressing dog issue. Like my dog's not acting right. The vet said it could be a or B, or I need treatment one, two, or three. I, I, I want to know what my dog is thinking. And I don't diagnose, but I can say, not even knowing what the three options that a vet might say, and I don't like to know, so that I'm just saying, okay, well, your dog is showing me that on the left side and the lower abdomen, there's a soreness that's causing discomfort. Your dog is like, there's a discomfort. I'm feeling it. And then the person will say, oh my gosh, that's exactly what the vet is saying. Does my dog want medicine or should I do this surgery? What does my dog think? And I'm like, okay, well, what I'm getting from your dog is there's a metal taste that's overpowering and making your dog nausea. And you might want to see, relay that to the vet. So I can support their visits with a veterinarian saying, this is information I'm getting. I don't know what you're discussing discussing with your vet, but this is what your dog is telling me or showing me. And then they can work it out as the person makes their decisions because the vets often will say you have, you know, two or three options. What do you want? And the person's like, what do I do? I don't know. But when I can come in and I don't know what the issue is, I don't know what the vet has said. And I can say, your dog is showing me pain in the left leg. And they're like, I don't want my dog in pain. So I give them peace of mind and some information to help them decide, okay, yeah, I want to spend $1,000 on this or, oh, yeah, I am going to trust this vet to adjust the medicine because you've said things that help me clarify what the vet has also said. So I, I support those kinds of visits. I also have quite a few clients who call me with final stage of life, the transitions and crossing over questions, and they want to see what their dog says. And when I, like I always say, don't don't tell me about your dog and why you're calling because I don't want, I want you to take it seriously. So when I say your dog is telling me that it is concerned about your stress with such and such a situation and I can give them information and they're like, and I'll say, I've told people, your dog really wants you to adjust a bed. There's a brown cushy bed and I describe something and I say, it's too hard. He wants more support. Then they know how to deal with a very stressful time of you know life's transitions or even your dog is showing me it's having trouble going upstairs. And then they'll say, oh gosh, yeah, I've been thinking maybe I should just not force him to go up to the bedroom anymore at nighttime because I've said that. So it's information that gives them peace of mind to make choices that they have been agonizing over. I'm interested to know how you handle skepticism towards your your way of thinking. I'll be honest, I've got a little bit of skepticism myself mm-hmm. about how you're coming to understand this information about dogs. So how, how would you deal with someone that was skeptical about what you're doing? So one, I embrace it. I think it's weird. There's plenty of times both in my private conversations and even when I've 
on my Talking with the Dogs podcast, people will hear me say, I don't know why I'm getting this. I think it's sort of weird, but I just, your dog, I have to share this with you. This is what I'm getting from your dog. So I, I, I can relate to the skepticism. I never set out to start a business. You know, I invest my time, I, I make money, and then I put it back into my business. And I'm like, this is crazy. But I mean, it's, it's crazy in that it's not what I set out to do. I thought I was going to make, and I did, communication related, supporting teachers and families and children in more mainstream education, like learning to read or, or you know, I got my master's in education and in that I wanted to create content that made learning fun. Never thinking I would do that, but with what dogs are saying. But I got to the point in my life where I can't deny it because it's made too much of an impact with my clients that I'm going to keep doing this. So I I can ignore the skeptics in that it's not about me. It's more about them not having had a an experience with it or even a positive experience. I've met people who had experiences with pet psychics or communicators where they're like, well, it was okay, but it was sort of general. Yeah, I mean, all dogs want to go for more walks kind of thing. So they, it wasn't enough to convince them. And so I try to be with everybody very, very specific on information. And I will say to the dog, show me more. Let me know so that your person knows that this is from you and not me making it up or projecting. Show me so they will know. And... That drives me so that someone like you who's skeptical, you know, is like, okay, I don't know about what she said about A and B because you may not have connected the dots and had that. Oh, now I know what she's talking about. The brown toy she mentioned or the yellow toy she mentioned, I I didn't get it because it's turned brown because it's so well-loved and dirty and I haven't washed it. But you connect it later. But when I can get the points like this, dog the other day who said, my favorite thing that I want more of is the yellow stuff you're putting on top. I had an image of this dog food bowl and there was this yellow sprinkling on top. And I was like, I don't know what it is, but your dog wants you to know that her favorite thing is the yellow food you're suddenly giving her. It's like a treat. And it was scrambled eggs. And when it's that on point, And then I can go on and say to the dog, tell me more, show me more about this yellow that you want your person to know. And the dog says, it's spicy. I like it when it's not so seasoned. And the woman said, it's not seasoned. I said, well, there's a spiciness or something in it sometimes. And she said, oh, it's the fish oil that I add. And I said, your dog wants it more frequently without, the word is plain. So, you know, if I can help them, I'm I'm going to put up with the skeptics because I ha- I get enough testimonials, I get so many referrals that I'm gonna I'm like it's okay if if you or someone's not ready to embrace it, maybe you will a month from now, maybe not with me, but maybe oh somebody else who you had met, who you'd been thinking about, then I'm, I'm satisfied because I know it can make a difference. And the last thing on that is that most people who have a dog, they chose that dog, welcomed it into their life because of some knowing sense that they had. 
whenever it, it comes up all the time, the do- I just knew that was the dog for me or the dog, just like my fosters that I'm like, I just knew it was right for them to stay. It's fine. If we have it then when we get our dogs, then what if we can just learn to have that same knowing sense more frequently? That's what I'm talking about. Teaching people to go back to when you knew that was a dog for you and you can access that regularly. Yeah, I think as you said, that I mean, that sharing that story obviously helps build an understanding of how it works, but also until you've had an experience yourself where, uh, you know, whether someone's had a session with you or spoken to someone else, and actually it's like probably a light bulb moment, I imagine that's kind of when the believing can start to, to develop. Funnily enough, when you're talking about the sprinkling on the food, every now and then we give our dog a little bit of cheese on her food, which we don't want to do every day because that then she'd probably have weight management issues. But um, right. I was visual, visualizing that when you were talking about the scrambled eggs, but I'm sure I, I know for sure that she is always waiting for that cheese now. <laughs> yeah. And see, so you know, and you use the word no. And so it's like, how do you know? Mm. See, and then so I try and get people, even, you know, skeptics, for example, here, if you know that she's always waiting for the cheese, then I want people to examine when they're in a, like a quiet space or reflective, how is it that, you know, she's waiting for cheese? What cues is she giving you that you're watching that are convincing you that, you know, your dog wants something. And just if, when we, it's not, if it's when we honor that, those knowing moments, and then like keep watching for, well, what else do you know about your dog? Do you know when she has to go to the bathroom? Do you know that she's doing a tap dance because she wants you to follow her to the back door to let her out? That's how skeptics start to pivot and embrace it in their own relationship with their dog. I think that's helpful because I guess what brings skepticism is not knowing how it works or and wanting yes. to understand how it works, right? And I, I think what you're telling me is that you're using behavioral triggers or cues and other things like that based on your experience to understand how something a dog is is feeling or or what they're doing, right? Yeah, because I've had I've worked with dogs since I was I guess I got my first dog when I was six. So that when I'm in a session, say I'm talking with your dog and and I'm trying to get the right word, and I have pauses. I'm like, okay, like yellow. What is it? Yellow. And I, I try and describe the shape, and I get a feeling of like an ex a satisfying exhale of a breath when I know I've got it right for what the dog wants me to share, and when I can do that over and over. It just is so satisfying. It it helps people like, okay, this is real. So what does it look like to have a a animal communicator session? Like, let's just look at an example. If you, if you've got a new client that wants to have a session with you to talk about that, uh, get you to talk with their dog and maybe overcome a behavioral issue or just to get an insight into what their dog's thinking, what would that look like? So they, Typically, to have a session, they will send me a picture of their dog, or and we do it over the phone without the picture. I'm finding that the Zoom ones or Skype are preferred because the dogs actually, they come up to the screen of the camera and they talk to me, and it's hilarious. And people, what they're doing is I'm like, you don't have to be on the screen. It's fine, so that they don't feel they have to get all dressed up and look good. So they will tilt the camera So the dog is looking at me and they're off screen. I'm looking into the camera at the dog. And 
sometimes the dog can get up and walk away. Sometimes they're just sleeping, but they're always involved. And if a dog is sleeping, you can see the dog and the person does too. I, if I make, when I'm explaining something, the dog will sort of settle into them or I'll say, your dog wants you to put your hand over there and I'll guide them where to put the hand. I will guide them. Your dog wants you to use your fingers. Your dog wants you to use your palm. And, or I'll say your dog wants cold. The, the water's too cold. It's showing me the, and they'll say, oh yeah, my husband always puts ice cubes in the water. Well, your dog doesn't like the ice cubes. It's too much on her throat. And I get a feeling. So I did that the other day about the dog, the water your dog wants. The dog got up and went and got water and came back to the conversation. And they do that in just about every session. So a session's either 30 minutes or an hour. I go through tuning in. I introduce myself to the dog and the dogs usually perk up and look at me. Then I tune in by asking some general things like favorite things, show me something about your house that, cause I'm just looking on screen. So I don't know usually where these people live, who lives in the house. I only know the dog's name and whether it's male or female. And that's all I know. And so I tune in, give me some signs so your person knows I'm connecting with you. Once we get past that, I start saying, okay, let me see, show me anything that's important. I want to do a body scan, show me places that are tight or bothering you. I have people write down questions before, but I don't want them telling me because I don't want like a skeptic being influenced. Oh, well, I told her I was concerned about his teeth. Don't tell me the question. So then we do a, the session, we get into it. And then often the dog will say, she has a question now. So I'll say, okay, I have a sense. You have a question now. And they'll say, oh, you just answered it. Or, okay, yeah, I want to add to that. And they ask a question. So they'll ask a question. And by then they've caught on that they don't need to guide me. They just ask. And if they are on screen, I say it's fine to be blank and not give any feedback. Just listen and receive. So. And then I end with, what would your dog like you to know? And I say to the dog, now's your chance. Say whatever you want. It can be really important. It can be silly. And that's my cue that it's winding down. And the dog will share anything. And one dog said, I want you to, told the person, she needs to rearrange her office and move her desk 90 degrees. And the woman was like, I've been thinking about doing that. And I haven't even told my husband, I've told nobody. So, you know, they, they say the darndest things. And <laughs> Dogs say the darndest things. <laughs> they do. And so then I will ask, I will share that. And then I will ask the person, do you have any lingering questions? Which they never do. And then I'll say, if something comes up, email me. And they never do about that. They usually just want the recording. And then I just say, I'm going to exit the screen now. And I want you to just sit with your dog and connect and see what comes to you and connect the dots as the days go by, because you will probably have more awareness. And then I just turn off the meeting and we're done. Have you found any challenges with the virtual aspect of that rather than being in person with a dog and meeting a dog? No, I love the virtual aspect because the dogs are coming right to the screen. They're still interacting. And if anything, I've been like learning 
business-wise to make sure that even in a private session, if they're comfortable, that I can share the video aspect of the dogs looking at me and interacting because it's so funny and it's very rewarding. And so in a way it's made it better. It's the funniest thing. I mean, I get very almost distracted by it because I'm like, oh my gosh, like the skeptic side of me is like, this is really working. The dogs are like responding to a Zoom call with me. So it's, well, it's been great. Fun for you, I guess, you having a chat with a dog over Zoom, you know? <laughs> so <laughs> I love it. I mean, they bring me toys. They Several dogs have brought me toys to the, either during the conversation or when they meet me, they run and get a toy and they bring it. And I'm like, oh, I see, I see. We're not going to do that now. We're going to just talk. So if you can, and then they'll sit down, they'll do, you know, they understand that I'm trying to engage with them. So it's it's great. Okay, so thank you very much for sharing all of your background with communicating with dogs and how your process works and some tips on how owners can better understand their own dogs. I'd like to know where people can find out more about everything you're doing. So I know you've got a journal available on Amazon, you've got a workbook on the website, and you've also got your own podcast. So where's the best place for people to go? I find most people like to message me through Instagram at Talking With The Dogs. That's a great place, especially new people because they want to see, oh, yeah, she is legit. So Instagram, I'm on Clubhouse, which is a new app at Liz Murdoch. And if all else fails, they go to my website, Talking With The Dogs, and everything's there. Perfect. Well, I'll share all those links in the show notes. But Liz, thank you so much for coming on The Dog Show today. Thank you for having me. It's been great.